0: Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. Today is Friday, February 19th. My name is Owen. I'm joined, as I always am, by my virtual neighbor, Max. And Max, there is a rover on
1: Mars. (laughs) I heard about that. Uh, Big news. Sample's coming back sometime in the 2030s. So maybe we'll get to retire and head up to Mars.
0: Yeah, so that's what I am going to ask you. Do you think you'd be someone who'd be interested in living on Mars? Huh. You know, I
1: I wonder uh, what the money situation of that will look like. I don't know if it will be like exclusively for like the upper upper millionaires, or it'll be so risky that they won't be as interesting. Either way, I think there'll be some fanatics who want to like, camp out on that line for over yeah. 10 years. I mean, I don't know I'm I'm a bit of a sucker for like the whole return your roots and like ending where you began so I it being a bit of a one-way trip I
0: don't think that would be the way I want to go but who knows what about you I'm definitely more of a, a home comfort type of guy so definitely something I wouldn't be interested also I would probably destroy the ship if I had to be on a seven-month flight or whatever it is I yeah, just don't think it would be possible for me to maintain my sanity
1: yeah I mean the space travel if if there was an opportunity to just go to the moon or the space station and just be in space that I mean it sounds like a nightmare learning how to live in space with right. eating and pooping and stuff but just seeing the stars and galaxy in that sense would definitely hold more appeal than uh I don't know you can definitely like romanticize it a little so maybe uh
0: probably depends on like the breakup of that decade and how I'm feeling yeah my my first step would be I gotta go see the northern lights I gotta go somewhere secluded and first take a look at all those stars because living in the cities you don't get to see it that often so that might inspire me a little bit more to be a little bit in, more interested in what's going on up there. Um, but I thought we'd kick off the show with something a little bit outside of sports because we have a vast array of them for everyone today. And uh, we're going to start with some hockey. Uh, we're going to talk about two different types of football. We got tennis, we got basketball, and we got some baseball. So a loaded plate for everyone. And we're going to kick it right off with uh, the trials and tribulations of being Leafs fans. And uh, this week the Leafs had a three game set <laughs> against the Ottawa senators Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and they get five out of six points, which is excellent, uh, especially against any professional hockey team. But it seems like fans are never satisfied. And uh, naturally you're not going to be satisfied when something occurs, like what happened on Monday and uh um, Max, I'll let you break it down for us to to begin with.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm struggling to believe at the moment. Um, game one on Monday, it seemed like everything was clicking for us exactly how we wanted to. Uh, Thornton's return to play was huge with the... Beautiful assist to kick it off. Austin Matthews, his play of the game was an assist for me with a beautiful, like, keep in at the blue line and throw it out to Thornton for a goal, giving Thornton a two-point night. Um, They got a five-on-three opportunity, which was kind of huge because the power play had been struggling recently. And when you put uh, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, Riley out, all five of the big boys... on a five-on-three, just too good. Like, a goal was guaranteed, even though they only had 30 seconds and muffed the first break in play. So, firing on all cylinders, everything seemed fine, and then... Man, I'm still not quite sure what happened. Um, shorty giveaway by Tavares in our own zone gives them the 5-2 lead with nine seconds left, then... Thornton, with uh, dwindling seconds on our own power play, the same power play they got the shorty on, kind of tries to force it and feed it into the middle, which just, when you've got a few seconds left on your power play, and sending it into a zone with three of the opponents, probably not the smartest thing to do, and who knew that uh, Zub had such sick hands on the breakaway? 5-3. I don't even remember the fourth goal, really. It must have blacked that one out. And then just trauma and triggers back to that game we're not talking about. Um, But when there's that much of a comeback in the air, the extra man goal just seems inevitable. And, I mean six sick hands by Dadanoff, off the bane of uh johnny superb man if anyone can remember youtube series going all the way back to like 2011 2012 and then uh i don't know i i'd pick the leafs in three-on-three hockey against any team other than a motivated conor mcdavid but morgan riley just making a poor decision on the three-on-three and trying to sh- force a shot through instead of uh, setting up Austin Matthews and shot block and the finish from Dadanoff. Yeah, it, My, it was it was such a thread the needle performance because honestly, I if you were to look at just pure scoring chances, I would say the Leafs outplayed the Suns in the third period, but they were just flawless on their execution, Freddie probably could have had one or two of those um 0 for 2 on the breakaway isn't it isn't quite the look you're hoping for um there were a couple opportunities we had to finish and put it back more out of reach and couldn't quite finish but just the Leafs still the Leafs this I think Morgan Riley is the only player left from that game we're not talking about but the Collapse, it goes beyond players, just a cursed franchise.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a roller coaster of emotions, right? Uh, we're both, you can see we have kind of a shared notes document and um, <laughs> typing out just us absolutely fawning over the great talent of the skaters we have. And then you see the turnaround of emotions as you move further down the notes section and the pain that you go through as a team gives up yet another lead uh yeah, freddie had a tough one he bounced back austin with the kablamma one timer in the second game which was pretty much from the spot he would have scored if morgan had dished him the putt so a little bit of more pain there for us to to dwell on and uh yeah that first game just so much sadness like my housemates who are not hockey fans were just like oh how about that leafs 5-1 eh? just yeah you're big just Your Ottawa the-
1: Sen's girlfriend must have yeah, had a pretty fun Tuesday.
0: She's a bit of a casual Senators fan, okay. but she was just, she mentioned, she asked me, why is like daddy lighting up my timeline? Because the Sen's fans, they love dad enough. They're obsessed with them. And uh yeah, it was definitely a painful one to say the least, but at least come back and give solid efforts in the second and third game and, um, a couple bad moments, but overall dominated most of those six periods, especially game three, uh, which was, there was just some filthy highlights in that game. I I almost puked when Var- when Marner scored that goal where he undressed Mike Riley and shelved it with about an inch of space to fit that puck in. Uh, an amazing like backhand pass I had Matt Murray on the opposite post and Matthews just tucks it in and, um, there, just some very, very nasty play. and there was at one point in the in the third period, there' was a two minute stretch where each one of the four lines got out there and had sustained possession in the senator's zone. like they were just all buzzing at one point and uh, of course, as soon as uh, as soon as four days later you get those uh, triggering flashbacks as the scores five one, the Sens make it five two uh, but. We get uh, some contribution from William Nylander, some contribution from Jonathan Tavares, who've been getting uh, some flack on Twitter this week for a recent downswing in in play, but they they kind of get the monkey off their back there, and especially Nylander with that Steve Simmons article. I don't know if you saw that in the Toronto Sun. The sum assembly required. I just the thing with Nylander is like you either love him or you hate him. And that's, you can say that about a lot of players. My dad, of course, calls him a hair skater very frequently. And a lot of people question, it's, it's tough when you see him do those flybys where he just throws the stick in and then turns around and completely goes the other way from where the puck's going. Uh, he refuses to use his body at all, but at the same time, he's still an incredibly productive player for his position and makes an average amount of money for his position and for what his role is. And so, at some point, you just gotta accept that that's what you're gonna get from Nylander and you have to compensate for his weaknesses by getting a guy like Wayne Simmons, or I don't know, getting another guy who's gonna dish it out a little bit more, so that they balance each other out. And I think Wayne Simmons, of course, his injury affects that second light line significantly because they no longer have that grit guy, and Hyman being out last night as well. Uh, but yeah, at some point. Nylander's not going to be the guy who's going to give you hits or really fight for that puck the same way that a Hyman will or even like an Austin. He's awesome. Matthews' has been unbelievable at taking the puck away from people this season. It's fantastic to watch. Uh, so happy for Nylander that he got in. He got the bang in to make it a six-two at that point. Yeah,
1: I I've been less frustrated with the second line than I think most of Leafs Nation honestly, just because. I feel so bad for them. They've gone through seven or eight players in that third position. Like, remember when the season started, it was Jimmy VC. Then they tried out Mikheyev for a hot second. It looked like Simmons was settling in and then he's out for four to six weeks. Um, so, is it Hyman they went with Kerfoot last night which I thought was interesting because I really like Kerfoot as the third line center and don't think there's anyone on the roster who can fit that role better than him but I did like what I saw from Kerfoot I'm I mean ultimately you want to get back to Simmons on that second line and then go for that cute third line checking love that I third line checking that I love and can't talk about enough of the potential for so I thought I thought um the second game in the series was probably overall a better night for that second line just in terms of scoring chances generated even though they didn't put up any points and Tabaris and Nylander both putting up points in this one yeah I I thought it was pretty curious and interesting and indicative of the mind of Sheldon Keefe that he decided to swap out uh, Nylander and Marner in the last 10 minutes of the game and kind of decrease the odds of the Matthews hat trick in order to try and get Tavares going and get him a goal and I mean paid off in spades with Marner having a direct assist on the Tavares goal and I mean not a very wrist shot that's not screened from the blue line a pretty low percentage scoring opportunity but um, Tavares just kind of force of will putting it in and he didn't even look relieved
0: yeah if, if you're a Sens fan uh, I saw that a couple of them were upset with the performance of Matt Murray he came in and replaced an injured hoberg and uh is a guy who's still struggling to to find himself the sense gave him a big contract and uh it's tough to see him underperforming but if you're a sense fan you can't be complaining too much that you're losing games because you weren't expected to do well and so you you hoping to get that top pick in the draft so that you can continue to build this franchise up and so if matt murray has a down year but he's doing things the right way and working on the process then you hope he can turn things around it doesn't have to be this season you'd like to see some progress but it's not the worst thing in the world if he's playing poorly uh, because you're not expected to be winning games and so it's it's not the end of the world for them yeah i thought i thought you played all right
1: i mean pretty tough to come in and just on a night you think you have off especially when you're basically still returning from injury then in like late second a lot of the third period, I thought he had a couple steals that uh like we could have been looking at an eight-nine goal game if he didn't elevate. But yeah, that last that last goal, you, you kinda gotta have. Uh, speaking of which, Hutchinson, with other than the Stützler goal, not uh, too much to complain about. Yeah.
0: He ended up having thirty-seven shots against, which yeah. is a ton, But I think Ottawa was really throwing a lot of stuff on net in that last period. I think they had 16 shots in that last, in that third period. and Which is uh, what you want
1: to do when the goalie's making his return to the NHL and hasn't played in, like, I think a year. I mean, that's, if I'm uh, the DJ Smith, that's exactly what I'm telling the Sens to do. Like, just throw everything at the net. You don't know what this guy's going to give up. But yeah, I think the numbers were a bit padded.
0: And the offense did enough, right? It to the early goal for Matthews allows him to settle in a little bit and play with the lead and just be himself, not trying to force too much. And having a big lead, especially means he doesn't have to, like, I don't know, do anything crazy. He can stay in his net, stay composed. And uh, he gave him enough. And he did it last year, too, when he was a backup briefly. He came in and won a couple, obviously, had some poor performances, but. Um, with Campbell out, that's as much as you could have expected from your backup goalie. Gives him a chance to win and maybe lets in a poor one, but when you score seven, it's it's not too big of a deal. Uh, And so, yeah, all in all, after a very tumultuous week, we still pull out five out of six points, uh, sit eight points ahead of the Montreal Canadiens for first in the North Division, uh, going into a... Another really, right back in Montreal on Saturday for a, for another great matchup. And so this North Division is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, just really excited to watch that one when it comes up. Yeah, a true I,
1: series of there and back again. They started off playing so well and then kind of collapsed, had to rebuild in the second game, go back to the defensive fundamentals. And then they got back to, the Leafs that everyone's hoping to see, and this time closed out the third period. So, if if it was any other team, any other franchise, I'd be right peddling the stuff I usually do about building back better. Uh, adverse, you want to weather the adversity early so that you pay now, so you don't have to pay later. Um, I'm I'm just I, I'm not so certain that this franchise isn't cursed and that we're not still going to have a first round exit, no matter how well we play at times in the regular
0: season. So time will tell. Uh, the last thing I talk about for this week for the Leafs is they do acquire Alex Gelchenyuk, uh before he ended up traveling to the States to Carolina. Dude's been passed all around a lot recently. I think we talked about him on Monday yeah. right before the trade news came through. So um yeah it was kind of bad timing on that move but they get a guy where you take a flyer on him uh he get there's no rush to get him in the lineup yet with the amount of guys uh, we have in those kind of bottom six and really loved what we've been getting from Travis Boyd and Pierre Angballs actually not looked like terrible like he did the last time we saw him playing and uh obviously you've got Robertson on the injury reserve who will come back eventually and spets has been playing well and patan so uh yeah give him time let him settle into the role learn the systems because he is a guy who can get you 20 goals in a season probably not this season but he is he does have some skill and so if you can finally get him to buy into one specific role which is what they've done with the rest of the bottom six then who knows he could be a pretty productive player uh at this point He's not going to be anything more than what he's been the last couple of years. And so you shouldn't expect him to have that great season he had early in his career. I think he had 31 goals or something. Uh, he's never going to be like that. But just another guy to keep as depth and uh, possibly come in and give you a little bit extra skill in the bottom six. So I don't mind the the acquisition. We didn't give up too much.
1: No, I think on one hand, it was just drop two contracts that we're not using And so you have one less contract if you want some trade space. There was some interesting analysis I was hearing talking about saying like this is a top six guy in terms of skill who can't commit defensively at that level. So on one hand, it's kind of nice insurance for like a Nylander injury or a Marner injury. Say if one of those guys go out, then you have like a more goal scoring option to slot into that top six where I think he just his strengths fit better than uh they do in the bottom six because I don't I don't see him playing uh filling in like a checking defensive role very satisfactorily where I do think he could have some goal scoring potential but as is I would take Willie Nylander over Alex Galchenyuk every day of the week so the way injuries have been going you never know and nice to have an insurance replacement option on that fourth line especially they're still shuffling around so I'm sure he'll eventually get a look and yeah probably one of his last chances uh after going number three in the NHL draft which is a bit of a sad story but it's the way she goes
0: I don't think he'll get in the lineup on Saturday but that would have been uh fun because he has played for the Canadians in the past a little bit of a revenge tour against uh Montreal and Ottawa maybe in store later on in the season but yeah um... well
1: it's crazy how he kind of I mean he got traded for Max Domi I think in that like one for one and it didn't that that's when like his stats with Montreal were pretty fine. I don't like he was averaging like 40, 50 point seasons. And then as soon as he steps into Arizona, that's when the decline starts. So I don't know if that was just such a confidence shaker for him or quite what just wasn't able to buy into the Arizona system. And
0: yeah, again, I think similar to a Nylander, At at a point in your career, you become you you settle on what you are as a player, and he I guess was performing a little bit above his pay grade in Montreal and has now settled settled into this type of player that he is and needs to and has been a guy who's been accustomed to being a top player, but now he needs to find and and buy into a new role and and hopefully that's what he can do and looking forward to seeing what he gives again a guy that the Leafs don't have to commit to so if he is underperforming you just put him back on the taxi squad and hopefully bury his contract I don't know many teams would pick him up on waivers I'm sure he probably would be but yeah just another uh, bargain bin pickup to add to the list of guys and uh, maybe he'll give you pop at some point in the season no downside really no Uh, yeah I... We await. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think we're going to wrap this segment. We've, yeah. we've, we've been think... dead horse on the Leafs, and I'm sure anyone who's a hockey fan is probably tired of listening to us blather on about them, but we must because they mean so much to us and we have so much emotional investment that it can't not be discussed. So we'll end our hockey segment. And take a quick break, and come back uh, for plenty of other sports on deck.
1: Owen, oh, you're kind of greedy. You expanding your football fan cave tent to capture two sports. Take it away.
0: Yes, definitely. We will start with uh, the world's version of football, and and what we call soccer here in North America, as we had the return of the UEFA Champions League and. Um, it's an immensely popular sport that doesn't necessarily trickle into our social circles. But uh, I was watching it this week and we got to see the fall of one of the giants in the world of European football as uh, FC Barcelona is showing that they're not what they once were, full of a lot of old guys and they need some new youth and some, some talent switches because they fall four to one to Paris Saint-Germain in the first leg of their, uh, round of 16 or quarterfinal matchup in the champions league. Uh, Messi scores an early penalty, but from there, it was all PSG Killian Mbappe, uh, stamping his, his name as kind of the heir to the throne of the next great, uh, offensive player in, in the world of football, uh, as he scores a hat trick and, just had some fantastic moments for Barca. Like they lost eight two last year to Bayern Munich and now this disappointing result as well. So it just not looking good for them. We had some news like a year ago that Messi was wanting out. And uh, because the contract is pretty lock solid with their uh, control over him and not having to transfer him anywhere. I don't know if he's going to be moving anywhere anytime soon, but, Barcelona needs to make some changes because that team looks looks uh, past their prime. And it's kind of sad to see because it was such a powerful era of football. Messi at the top of his game with Neymar and Suarez. Uh, that team was pretty tough to beat and they had a lot of success. And now the new age of football is upon us and kids like Mbappe are, are making their name known.
1: All good things.
0: <laughs> yep. It changes good. Uh, another big game. Uh, Juventus and Porto. Uh, Juventus gives up a goal within the first two minutes of each half uh, and besides that dominated most of the game but again if you fall asleep for two minutes in football it can be the death of you because goals are much harder to come by in this sport and they I drop the first leg.
1: I fall asleep in the first two minutes of football all the time I'm not sure what
0: you mean. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they lose to Porto in a, in a tough result. Luckily, they still have a second leg to come back and catch up. But a very disappointing result for a lot of fans and a lot of people saying that Juventus uh, doesn't bring it in the Champions League as, as they do in uh, Serie A or, or some of the other competitions that they play in. So if they want to change that narrative, they got to get going in the next matchup. Uh, last game I want to talk about. I was watching my friend, actually, my housemate is a Dortmund fan. So we were watching their game. And uh, there was a pretty controversial non-penalty call late in that game as a guy got pulled down on a cross. And I think they ended up making the right to- call to not go to the penalty. But it it was kind of my first. It had been a while since I had watched soccer. And the VAR technology that they use now, it feels very similar to kind of offsides in hockey, where they can go back and review things. And make calls now after the fact. It's something that I'm, I was never used to, and now that this replay system is coming to soccer as well, like they can call offsides and penalties and bring things back um, after you've played for another minute because they don't stop and wait for the review only on goals. So it's just very interesting thing, and uh, it'll be weird if we see it in the in the World Cup next november because it's something that i'm not used to it's in all the north american sports but i'm wondering how people are feeling about it outside of our uh, our countries right yeah that would be i guess the first
1: experience for a lot of fans with it
0: yeah so we've finished up uh there's got we've got some more uefa's champions league action up on deck next week but i won't get to wrap that until uh, next Friday, because games start on Tuesday, but I will move along into the other football, and that is the American football, the gridiron football here in, uh, in Canada, in the United States, as we get a our first kind of big quarterback on the move. Uh, I guess that that's insulting. I'm sorry, Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford. That move was big. We got our next quarterback on the move, and that is the Eagles dealing Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts for a third rounder and a conditional second round pick in 2022 which actually converts to a first round pick if Wentz plays 70% of the snaps or uh up into 100% but and if the uh Colts make the playoffs so a little bit of insurance there from the Colts just to make sure that he's healthy and and that they're having some team success so as little as a second as much as a first round pick they got to give up in addition to that third and uh yeah it's it it signals a changing of eras for philadelphia uh he was an all pro back in 2017 and since then has not looked like himself injuries of course have played a part uh wide receiver corpse has not been great and so uh They've realized that he's not their quarterback of the future, which is a steep price to pay. I think they're paying the largest dead cap hit in in NFL history for moving on from him. And they're going to stick with Jalen Hurts, you would imagine. But I don't know if that is who they're going to settle on. But Ka- Carson Wentz is gone. Uh, they, I think they do the right thing by not succumbing to the sunk cost fallacy and and just move on from him early rather than continuing to pay him all that money for years that he's not going to play for them. Uh, so they just have to suck up one bad year of, of cap hell and then and then they're in the clear. And so he moves to Indianapolis where he reunites with his former offensive coordinator, now head coach Frank Reich, uh, who was the guy who helped him have his success in his all-pro season. So hopefully he can have a, a little bit of an improvement, return to, I don't think he'll ever be as good as he was a couple of years ago due to the injuries and, and due to just, I'm sure some of the mental stuff that he's had to endure for the struggles and, and playing in Philadelphia, it's a tough fan base to play for. Uh, they expect a lot and and rightfully so, but it's a, uh, it's a new opportunity. It's probably his second last opportunity in the NFL to really find himself and the Colts out of any team in the league. It's one of the best situations to go because they have a fantastic offensive line. They've got a young and solid uh, wide receiver corpse and, and a solid defense. So he just needs to go in there and play at an average quarterback level and they can make the playoffs for sure. So good luck to Carson Wentz. Um, I think it's a fine trade on both sides. Eagles had to move off a of quarterback. Colts needed a new quarterback and and are not drafting that high in the draft. So it's risky to to draft a quarterback here. So they move and, and make the trade, and hopefully Frank Wright can get the most out of Carson and Uh, we'll see how it happens moving forward into the season, but that's a brief little football fan cave for me. We'll take a quick break and Max will lead us through some tennis action that we saw in the last week. And we're back. We've had a great elimination bracket of ATP and WTA tennis and, and Max, you're going to break down some of the highlight matches we've seen this week at the Australian open.
1: Yeah, Nothing left but the finals for what's been a very entertaining Australian Open, despite all the hell and high water they've had to go through to make it happen. I think it's been worthwhile. The finals coming up this weekend, both matches at 3.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which I'm going to have some decisions to make. (laughs) We'll see. But uh, yeah, it's been great upset tennis with uh, just all the highs and lows on both sides uh, On in the men's side we've got uh, Djokovic versus Medvedev for the finals uh, I haven't followed the Medvedev side of the bracket too closely other than seeing the highlights on uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that Greek name but the, the
0: final Tsitsipas
1: there you go. The upside <laughs> over Nadal, uh, Djokovic in his last two, his most recently ending Katsarov's uh, crazy dark horse run, which doing it in straight sets, which I think is Djokovic's first victory in straight sets for a while in this yeah. tournament, and uh, making the rest of the men's league scratch their heads and go, "Why mm-hmm. did? Why was that so hard for us?" But. Uh, I-
0: I, so I didn't know this, but that's this is Katsarov's first Grand Slam tournament. Yeah, no, and he made it to Absolutely the semis. It's incredible. Ones. And then, if you're Djokovic, like got they the men's, you have to beat him not in the semis because he's undefeated in semi. I think he's fourteen and zero in semifinals. Yeah, <laughs> at, I think even I think at the Australian Open or something, he's. Just when he gets to the semis, he doesn't lose. You got to beat him in the finals or before that? (laughs) I don't think he's uh, ever lost to an
1: Australian Open finals either. So, I mean, we're either one step closer to history with Djokovic closing in on uh, the 20 mark, or we're going to see his first upset at the finals. But, I mean, Djokovic, he, he hasn't looked excellent all tournament. He's had his drops. I mean... Men's tennis is just so competitive at the highest level. It's almost impossible to have pure dominance all the way through, but I saw a great matchup or the fourth set against Zverev where uh, Djokovic took him out and similar to the Fritz just match two guys absolutely locked in and Djokovic just showing the poise that comes after being at the top of the highest level for so long. Uh, He went down 3-0 and just had to lock in. He served, he broke, he served again, tied it up at 3-3. And from that moment on, like Zverev played the best tennis he could, I thought Uh, his serve was probably even deadlier than Djokovic's just being... At, like the prime of his athleticism but Djokovic stayed in it with his own serve they went to the tie break and Novak just so patient er, staying in it with his points weathering the younger more athletic player and eventually finding a way to break and just putting it away after he did that it was real neck and neck back and forth he, like that's you really saw the server's advantage play out before your eyes in that fourth set, and Novak just best in the world for a reason. So this this finals matchup, I'm a, I'm kind of a little more confident about being able to catch as the UFC will go probably to like one a.m. So maybe I just lock in for two hours doing something and flip it on, although. If this goes to five sets, which four sets, which most of Novak's matches have, and I expect to go against this because Medvedev also looking fantastic, but should be an excellent finals to crown the tournament. On the women's side of things, we're going to have Naomi Osaka versus Jennifer Brady for the finals which Naomi Osaka coming off the probably marquee matchup of the women's side thus far in the tournament against Serena Williams. And I did get to catch the entire match for that one. And it was pretty entertaining. I mean, 6-4, 6-3, I think, in the end. So pretty dominant score cards. But there were some back and forths and momentum swings. Osaka started off really shaky going down 0-2. You saw it in her serve. just She kept fumbling the toss and having to reset. and Just even her voice apologizing on the serves. Um, but she locked in on that third game in the set and found her footing. And then she started getting full leverage behind the ball. And once she did she was just dictating pretty much every rally that happened Serena just on the defensive end having to scramble to try and make shots and not really able to threaten with her own power and once Naomi started getting those shots with full leverage it was kind of just a matter of time before she won the point like three out of four times unless she made her own unforced error but that at that percentage you're gonna win enough points to take the set and the interesting story of the match was kind of the second serve returns because both were looking to really hammer it on their first serve and neither really found uh, too much success at that and the second serve being probably the softest shot that was coming in rallies both really tried to capitalize on it and that was a big part of Serena's downfall just there were a lot of shots she either hit out or hit the net, trying to smack on that second serve I think that Osaka just being so dominant in the rallies played a big part in Serena looking to try and get into them and looking to do so on those second serve returns but too many errors for her on those and probably just trying to put too much at it. I mean, the analysis of this match was kind of, Osaka is the first player who can really beat Williams at her own game. Uh, Someone who can hit the ball harder than her and move better than her, get to it faster and just be the more athletic, more dominant player, which even at 39, Williams has kind of still been able to maintain against a lot of the competition, but not Osaka. Uh, There was a great, another great momentum swing, I thought, in the second set with Osaka closing out where uh, Osaka was up I guess 3-2 or 3-1 and then Williams back against the wall, played a great service game, made it 3-2. Osaka played an even better service game with like four amazing serves. And then Serena came back, took it again, like to her playing just as well on the service game. And then Osaka crumbled. She had two double faults. It went four, four, and it looked like maybe this is going to be a momentum swing. And then Osaka, I guess she took the next two games, 45 love a piece. So eight straight points to close out the match. And, just I, I said it last podcast, I think she's the best play, female tennis player in the world right now, and that seems to be pretty indisputable. So big favourite heading into the finals. I don't know if you heard about the press conference. Serena Williams just really blaming her on errors and uh, had a bit of an interesting comment, like, if I'm going to retire, I wouldn't
0: tell anybody, and then uh, left early in tears. She is a fiery competitor, and whenever she loses, she tends to give some pretty uh, newsworthy press conferences. And she has a history of doing so against Osaka. I think it was two years ago when Osaka beat her, and that was a little bit more of an upset. It was on Osaka's rise, uh, and Serena made a comment about, I think, about Naomi and I can't remember what happened, but it, it ended up blowing up and people were upset with Serena for her actions and the way she conducted herself. And so uh, nothing new there. I think it's just a heat of the moment loss statement that she's going to look back and regret, she said. But yeah, it, it she's hasn't gotten over this hump now for four uh, Grand Slams in a row where she's made it to the semis and, and not been able to cash in on her record tying 26th, I believe. Uh, with, I think or 24th with Margaret Court. And uh yeah, so it it the end could be coming soon. Uh, because Serena is typically more dominant on hardcourt, and if she can't be winning the hardcourt tournaments, then uh then it's tough. So I think her next best shot is probably at Wimbledon. Uh, but we'll see how she's uh she's playing moving forward this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, the what the commentators were saying was against most women in the world still even at 39 she feels like if I play my best tennis I can beat anyone but that might not be that's probably not true against Osaka at this point if Serena plays her best and Naomi plays her best the match is going to go to Osaka so I mean nerves that's been the other fantastic part watching uh, Osaka's rise the personality is starting to emerge and the confidence that's starting to emerge so you've and Williams is probably for sure the most confidence shaking matchup she can have so you've got to think every victory there is going to build that confidence and it's not going to be there to capitalize on as much as the years go by but I mean anything can happen but if Naomi Osaka shows up and plays in the big moments which that's been the biggest part of her success her ability to do so it's not really clear that Serena Williams can beat her which that's the first time in her career you've kind of had to say that about Serena Williams it it doesn't matter what she does it doesn't matter how well she plays she can't beat this opponent when they're at their best so that could be the nail in the coffin is what the speculation is but such a fiery competitor so much motivation and competitive spirit you'd think maybe at least close out the 2021 run we'll see
0: yeah should be an excellent couple of finals the last tennis note I have is uh Bianca Drescu jumps right into a one of the smaller tournaments happening throughout the Australian Open and uh, jumps into the Phillip Island trophy. She gets a first round buy in that tournament as a f- highly seeded player. Um, makes a bit of a confidence building run. Loses in the semis uh, to the 13th seed in the tournament. Buskova, probably if she had won that match, would have won the tournament because uh, an unseeded opponent made it to the final to play against Buskova. So that would have been nice if Bianca had, had got a, a trophy under her belt early in the season. But a solid run for her and I think she's actually going to move up one spot on the rankings with the result in that tournament so move her up to eighth in the world which is not too shabby and uh, nice to see her I think she's now four and two since her return uh, which is not too bad coming off of an injury so we're looking forward to her to continue to build her confidence back up and avoid taking the same path as Eugenie Bouchard we're looking to see her blaze her own path and and really be a successful young tennis star for Canada, along with Phoenix, and, with Felix, and uh, and Chapo. Uh, kind of like Phoenix as a <laughs> go-to. Yeah, I mean, you
1: just gotta hope the more matches she plays in, the better she's gonna get. So, uh, just happy to see her take on that tournament and go, uh, and hopefully, come like Wimbledon mid-season, she's returned to form.
0: Yep. Right. All right. And, we're, and back. we're back.
1: Go ahead. No, retake and it? And we're back uh, for some NBA storylines. I think we're going to kick off with some Raptors talk, which we haven't done in a while. Back to back wins against the Bucs. Last podcast, or maybe two podcasts ago, because we didn't talk about the raps, you were looking for some wins over the top teams in the league
0: and back to back wins against the Bucs. How's that? i'll take it i mean the bucks have been scuffling as of late they've lost five in a row now but the raptors only sit two games behind them for third in the eastern conference believe it or not Uh, a tough loss against minnesota way back on sunday which you want to win those games against uh, the timberwolves who are last in the western conference and they play them tonight so they do get an opportunity to do that Uh, but the thing that I loved about these two games with the Raptors is they really dialed in defensively. I think they, they really game planned hard for this two game set against Milwaukee and executed the game plan really well walled up against Giannis uh, made the ball swing to kind of the worst shooters on Milwaukee's team. Uh, lots of active hands and, and lots of verticality without committing too many fouls. And they were able to limit Giannis's production, and without Drew Holiday in the mix, uh, Milwaukee's been struggling uh, to create shots because they just they aren't that same monster regular season team that rolls twelve guys deep every night, um, and they are built a little bit more for the playoffs, which has led them to have some struggles in the regular season, and especially late game, they've been struggling to to create offense. Whenever Giannis has the ball on the perimeter now, the Raptors breathe a sigh of relief. Whenever Giannis has it in post, it becomes crazy time. But uh, that's okay because Pascal Siakam, OG's back, uh, Fred VanVleet have really stepped up this week. Pascal got an iso possession in the post against Giannis last night, and I went, oh, my God, what are they doing? He can never score against Giannis. And he takes two dribbles shifts back into facing away from the basket and then attacks on his right hand and gets the and one layup pass Giannis and he's yelling, flexing. He's hyped. I think that's a huge basket for him. OGN and Obi had a two minute stretch in the fourth quarter where he had a reverse layup in traffic, uh, then had a cut on a Pascal backdoor feed for a, a reverse jam and then had a post possession back-to-back post possessions against Middleton where he backed him down and got a layup and then, backed him down and found him and found Bembry on a backdoor cut with a no look pass. I retweeted it. Uh, it was just wonderful to see from OG and, and the evolution continues. I think in his injury, uh, I don't know what he was working on, but he's looked really, really fresh in some of his decision-making and uh, some of his skill stuff heading towards the rim. So uh, we'll take it because he's been great. And, and Nick Nurse experimenting with different lineups at one point, there was uh, Matt Thomas, Bembry, Siakam, Baines, and Boucher on the floor. So two wow. bigs uh, and like two kind of bench rotation guys and then Siakam. And uh, that unit actually played well. And I think Baines actually matches up well against the Bucks for some reason, especially coming off the bench to go up against like a Bobby Portis. Uh, and, of course, Boucher has just been consistently solid for them off the bench. Uh, and Nick Nurse goes small late with Pascal at the five um, because you're not too scared of Brooke Lopez beating you in the in the paint anymore because of how much his game has changed to become a perimeter-oriented player. And, yeah, the Raptors continue to give effort. They lose Lowry in the second game uh, and continue to fight. And just on to the next game, they, they have an incredibly difficult stretch coming up where they play – uh, five games and seven nights twice, uh, and then finally make it to the All Star break. But some really tough matchups. I think they got Philadelphia on deck, Brooklyn on deck. Um, I think they're Miami once. So some tough games ahead, a tough stretch. But this is a, a season defining stretch for the Raptors if they're hoping to be a playoff team and like a frisky playoff team where they actually may want to make it past the first round because. I think the East is open. It depends on what sort of moves these top teams. I think it's Brooklyn and Philly at this point look to be the two most real contenders. Uh, And it depends on how that team, those teams coalesce together for a playoff run. But if they, if nothing changes, then the Raptors, I think could have a decent shot of at least making some noise. Uh, And so such a different tune from where we were at the start of the season when they were what, two and eight. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's kind of always been this team's identity. They can beat the best teams in the league and lose to the worst teams in the league, which pretty just on display in a museum this week after that last stretch, but it's certainly coming together more and more as the season goes on. And uh, I don't think they've had any games postponed to COVID yet, knock on wood. So if that can continue then hopefully they'll get some rest at some point in the season as the league looks to make up a lot of the games it's missed out on
0: and i'll i'll continue to beat the drum of if this team gets gives effort they can win every night and the raptors are a team that i think actually will s- steals some regular season wins over some other teams because they give that effort every night and and that's how you get wins in the regular season because some nights teams just Will take a night off or something like that because there's so many games in the season, and the Raptors managed to get some of those tough wins on nights when, when other teams might just take their foot off the gas. Another guy who's had to put his foot on the gas so far this season is Damian Lillard, uh, as he's lost McCollum, lost Nurkic. Where have you heard that before? Oh yeah, it's basically been the last two seasons where he's had to operate without his like two or three next best players on his team. Yet he continues to carry the Blazers. I think they're 17-10 on the season and and yeah, just way outperforming expectations with the injuries that they've had. Um he played he took over the fourth against the Pelicans as he does, had 43 and 16 assists uh, against the Pelicans on on Wednesday night. Um, and just shout out to Damian Lillard. I, I don't believe he was named an All Star starter, but he'll definitely be in there on the reserves. Which yeah. kind of brings me uh, into the next bit of news: the N- NBA All Star starters were announced. Uh, again, it's fifty percent fan voting, twenty five percent media, and twenty five percent players, coaches, players, players, biggest players. Yeah, uh, anti John Scott uh, protocol. Yeah. And I think there's there's uh, no real surprises. We had our discussion about Kyrie Irving, about how maybe with the number of games and, and the attitude he doesn't get in.
1: Five, but... um, 50% fan voting is going to uh, hurt Kyrie.
0: And, and, def- and I think the player votes as well. I don't think the media necessarily voted for him, but the players know, okay, even if he hasn't played all 28 games, this is the best guy, or this is like one of the top guys, he has to be there. And so I'm sure he got votes from the players. And then of course the overwhelming fan vote. I think he was first or second in fan voting for guards. So Kyrie gets in there. Yeah. Really? You for think the guards. That? Yeah. Do you know that or you think that? I'm pretty sure. I can check that I, right
1: now. I feel like he's one of the more disliked players around the league. And I have a hard time imagining that he would carry the fan vote in.
0: Okay, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up. Apparently, Anthony Davis got the most votes, uh, but wasn't named a starter.
1: Yeah, I mean it's I don't really care for the fan voting portion of it. I if you want the All Star designation to mean anything, it I guess it's the league trying to drum up fan involvement. I'm really curious if Kyrie Irving actually carried the fan votes because that totally flips everything I think about him. Try
0: it, <laughs> Yeah, Kyrie Irving, second in fan voting wow. at 2.8 million total votes. Bradley Beal first with 3.4. Uh, what do I Beal, know? Beal, Irving, Harden, Levine were the top four. Yeah. I guess New York. He's just he, – he's even as a like for casual fans because of the style of game that he has it just resonates people love the handle and the uncle drew yeah that's such a big part of what it is and he actually also received the second most player votes. Bradley Beal had 161 Kyrie with 100 and next was James Harden with 58 so people really love Kyrie i guess. He is the, he is a vice president of the players association. So even with some of his actions, I think he's got a lot of players on his side. Oh yeah. Uh, Jalen Brown and James Harden actually both beat Kyrie out for media votes but uh, his weighted score was enough to get him in just barely over James Harden uh, for as a starter so
1: yeah interesting um, To I was kind of looking forward to uh, some sort of snub in the starters and like whatever his comment was going to be about it, but probably for the best that that didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. I It'll be a little more interesting down the list. The starters probably, I mean, you had your eight locks in each division and no surprise the five starters coming from each of those eight locks who If the remaining three of those locks are in fact locks and who the other four will be the more interesting part of the all-star selection, Mm -hmm. which it does seem to be
0: confirmed to be happening, unfortunately. I do want to say my boy, Fred Van Vliet, finished seventh in player voting. Uh, So good for him. I don't know who, Drew Holiday beat him out and Ben Simmons beat him out. Uh, But Yeah, proud of my boy, Fred. He finishes ninth, tied for ninth. He didn't get a single vote from the media. Come on, where are my Toronto writers at? Why aren't they supporting our boy? All right. Sorry, I'm just looking at the results here. It's interesting. It's interesting to see how people think. Uh, But no no real snubs in the starters. We'll see what happens with the reserves. I think coaches will make um, some decisions that might rub fans the wrong way, but they're gonna pick guys who they think contribute to winning the most and so uh, might actually might actually see a Trey Young snub here coming up, which would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's
1: never going to be a John Scott, but oh well. <laughs> yeah.
0: the All-Star game will continue. Uh, we've got the skills competition and three-point contest happening before the game. So they're going to have even more players in that low bubble in Atlanta. And then you've got the dunk contest at halftime, which will be interesting. Uh, It's going to be an event and it's something that needs to be done for the NBA because they need the money. Uh, I don't know how much money the All-Star game generates, but obviously enough that they have to do it. It sucks that the players who don't need the money are the ones who have to play the game (laughs) because they don't want to because they make enough money for it to not be a worry. But for the rest of the players in the league, they need those guys to go. And so I think it'll eventually get played. We'll see how many of them opt out or even if that's a thing that they're allowed to do. It will be really interesting. We could end up having like 30 all-stars for each team this year if half the guys opt out on both sides. Yeah, it is
1: interesting where the league pushes back. Like, super team formation, nah, that's fine. Trying to skip out on this game, that means absolutely nothing. But, like, we plaster sponsors all over. Get in line, buds.
0: Continuous theme, money talks. All right, that is it for the NBA storylines. Uh I thought about doing some more kind of scout stuff, but I'll probably save this for pods where we have – a little bit less talk to talk about, especially maybe during the All-Star break. That might be the time for me to really dig deep into some of these guys. Jalen Green's been on a bit of a nice streak. Uh, G League Ignite has now lost two of their last two, uh, five and two, I think, now in the gobble. So uh, good to see some them facing some adversity, see how they respond. And uh, yeah, might have some more Cade Cunningham content coming up for you guys in a couple weeks' time. But we will take one last break and come back for some big baseball news.
1: And we're back. I, watching the hockey game, got an eye-popping, jaw-dropping headline that I can't really understand. So explain to me how this 22-year-old just got paid 14 years at $340 million.
0: Yeah, so a league redefining deal. For Fernando Tatis Jr. And this kid is, I would say, feels a little bit like McDavid-ish. If, if I were to give a comparison of, of uh, a player coming into the league, feels a little bit Zion-ish in terms of it's this new age of player where he is completely against a lot of the unwritten rules of baseball. He's a bat flipper. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. He plays fantastic on both sides of the ball. And this kid is the future of baseball. Um, he's a face that they need in order to liven their league up and get more attention from the younger consumer demographic. Um, because like hockey and baseball, a lot of these guys are pretty dry, which is fine. They go about their business. They're professionals. But in order to attract fans, you need guys with personalities. And that's what the NBA has done so well. That's what the NFL is starting to do so well. And and MLB, NHL, they need to follow in, in the footsteps of those, those two top leagues, right? So with baseball, this kid is the future. And traditionally, in baseball especially, uh, you enter the league, you get drafted, or you get signed out of wherever, um, like Vladdy got signed out of venezuela but you get signed and you are not eligible for free agency for eight seasons because guys spend so long in the minors like you have a guy spend five seasons playing all his way up through triple a and then finally makes it to the show and so guys go seven years then they're eligible for arbitration then they make a little bit more and then they finally hit free agency by the time they're like 29 30 and that's what we saw with george springer right he finally got his big deal this move is league redefining because most teams in the MLB play around with guys' contracts so they don't have to pay them until way down the road. But San Diego is going, you are the face of our franchise, you are the star. We are going to pay you now, and he's gonna and we'll have you locked up forever. And it's incredibly league defining because it's a guy who hasn't even played a full 162-game season yet, who's getting paid this kind of money. And is expected to produce for 14 years. I don't know how they settled on that number, but it's a long, long time. Uh, he's a really he's a stud, and he's gonna be great. But it is a little bit early to put that much money into him. But what it does is it may force other teams. It actually w- might hurt the Blue Jays, who are trying to keep their young guys under these smaller contracts for quite a while. And as their competitive window is about to open, and now teams are saying, "Well, look in the NBA, in the NHL." Uh, you play three to four seasons on your rookie deal, and then you're eligible for a free agency to get that max money right away, which is what happens for a lot of these guys. Cause the development timeline's a little bit quicker. And now in baseball, if you want to get young kids playing baseball and you want to get kids interested in playing baseball, you got to pay these younger guys earlier because it shows that there is a revenue window for them to earn that big money with the likes of NBA, with the likes of football and, and, they're losing out on participation in baseball because kids are looking and there's no fun kind of stud stars to look up to. And there's no young guys making a ton of money. Instead, they're stuck playing their way up through the minors making, I don't know, like obviously it's a ton of money compared to the average earner, but compared to some of the bigger numbers in other sports, it's not enough. And so San Diego making the investment early, uh, rewarding a guy for his potential and, I will see if it pays off. They've got another big contract in the team in, in Machado and San Diego. Their new owners just pumping money into the team. It's going to be an excellent season to watch them and the Dodgers go at it for however many games they play. It's going to be a fantastic battle of two juggernauts. They're probably the top two uh, favorites, and they're in the same division. So it's just it's a crazy move that's going to change the way guys get paid in the MLB, you would hope. Uh, I, I'm always on the side of guys getting paid what they're worth because they bring in so much money for these huge leagues and owners who are billionaires who don't care about their little play thing that they have on the side as a franchise and these kids who work up for their dream and, and they want to get paid. And so happy for Tatis. It changes a lot of the way we see baseball and hopefully it gets more kids in the baseball, I would say. This big contract, Tatis, his annual cap hit, I think 24.3, that would put him 47th in the NBA in highest salary. Uh, I forget where that sits. Um, I think it's around Drew Holiday range, which is just bizarre to think about because he's one of the league's best stars and he's still kind of in the average money level of, of an average star in, in basketball. So it just shows the, the differences there. Uh, but yeah, big takeaways there. Uh, and and gonna be interesting to see how this changes the way people pay their young players moving forward
1: yeah I I don't uh I was thinking about it with the NHL when you referenced that how we can we've kind of seen the bridge contract uh fade away and not be as much of a thing which I don't know I mean McDavid Matthews Line, a, certainly I guess Line a hasn't gotten his yet but uh Certainly, when you come out and start playing as like a first, second line contributor, there's a solid argument to be made. You should be paid like one, but uh, that kind of two-year, four or five million dollar cap, cap it contract coming out of your first rookie contract seems to be a thing in the past, uh, which was just kind of a decision on how do we pay guys we're still developing their game and we don't know how good they're going to be And but we don't want to take a risk on locking them up at their full value I mean you look um Crosby and Ovechkin got paid right out the gate that kind of money so maybe it's more the same there but so would you say Tatis Jr. is at a level where he's already playing near
0: that kind of cap it or it's a gamble on him reaching it in the future? Well, based on his last, this last 2020 season, I would say he's earned that level of pay, but the problem is, is there's not a big enough sample size to know if he's going to reproduce this. They are betting that he's actually going to get better, but at such a young age, you never know if this is it. Maybe he's a flash in the pan. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think that he is going to be an incredible player for many years to come. But that's why baseball is so different. It's why you don't see guys invest in these young players because uh, a lot of times they'll have one great season and then fizzle out. And of course they've got these incredible metrics to measure like swings and planes and how guys are going to develop into their bodies. Baseball is one of the most analytics, heavy sports and uh, other sports are catching up of course, but it's what they've been doing now for so long. And I think he ends up earning the money, or maybe eight to nine of these years. And then you're stuck in that territory where like at 35, is he going to be a mobile uh, infielder? They're going to have to move him to the outfielder position. I just, yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. And I think the biggest thing that this does is it gets fans super excited. Like this San Diego team is ready to compete now and it's going to be competing for many, many years to come. And so they're going to make a ton of money off of the fan interest that this generates. Um, and, yeah, it's just – I, it's different. I think it's going to be good for baseball, though, because you want to have the the top guys with emotion at the front of your league. Uh, people love NBA stars because they have a personality. They go on podcasts. They go on TV. They, they state their opinions. They do things that – catch people's eyes and catch people's ears and baseball doesn't do that and this fan fernando tatis kid i just watched a gatorade commercial the other day and he just got so much emotion and thinking back to when the blue jays were great and you had like a bautista and a stroman and guys who were fired up on every play it just got the fans into it and and this is tatis takes it to another level um and so yeah just i think he earns the money short term I don't know about ten years from now. Fourteen years is an incredibly long time, uh, but yeah, he's going to definitely be worth the money in in the next couple of years as he moves into his prime for sure.
1: All right. Well.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's not much more to say about baseball. Uh, the Blue Jays are going to be starting their 2021 season in Dunedin, Florida, uh, which will be interesting to have professional MLB games being played in in a summer in a spring training facility, the field is obviously like professional in size. um, But it will be a weird vibe. I don't know if they'll allow fans uh, because it's kind of, it's about an hour away from Tampa. So I don't know if there's some competitive uh, revenue stealing stuff there. I don't even know if you'd want Tampa Bay fans there to watch games. It's kind of like the Raptors where they're getting booed in their own building. Uh, But yeah, it should be a really fun season and, Spring My, training starts a week from Sunday, uh, so then we'll we'll get some we'll get some storylines going before the season starts. The Jays just missed out on Taiwan Walker. I got that notification this morning, which is a bummer. And and pitching will be probably the story of the season. But we'll talk about that a little bit more next week.
1: Sounds good. Uh, didn't get to combat corner this episode mainly because the ufc card happening saturday night is not particularly eye-catching with most of the matchups and i've already broken down the main event of derek lewis curtis blades and uploaded it before finding out one hour later that the fight was cancelled i hopefully that doesn't happen this time if you're curious about it go check it out it's on youtube it's on the podcast uh Watch it, maybe just to keep awake long enough to check out Djokovic and
0: Medlev.
1: not even going to try <laughs> and correct <laughs> that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone, once again, for listening. Uh, we are on all the podcast platforms, wherever you want to find us. We appreciate for listening. Uh, stay warm, stay safe. Hang in there. Max, take it away.
1: Sports Next Door, signing out.